0: My backyard is full of wildlife. If you want to know where the big animals are, you have to listen to the little animals. Right now I actually hear an alarm call. I learn a lot though by just following the tracks. All right, here we go, another episode of Sidetracked. And on this episode, I'm gonna talk about living at the edge of nature and in the, in the edge of the wild having predators out your front door, um, it's something that a lot of us deal with here in Montana at on different levels. Um, I know not everybody listening can walk out their front door and potentially see a mountain lion or a grizzly bear like I can here, but each of us probably have some, something that we consider dangerous out the front door and we all, deal with it in a different way, but I can only talk about what I'm dealing with and what my neighbors are dealing with and how we're all dealing with it in different ways. And I'm not going to say anybody's doing things right or wrong, but what I want to showcase is how I'm personally dealing with some of some of these dangers out my front door and how other people have been innovative or, you know, thought out of the box and and ways of dealing with some of their dangers. know i've just recently a a father i've got a two-year-old and a two-month-old well three months old now um and my two-year-old has been wandering around you know being a a classic toddler outside um kind of running aimlessly i've i've got to admit i you know for the first little bit i had her on one of those little kid leashes because i do have some dangerous dangerous things out outside Uh, i've got a a stream that goes by it's pretty deep especially in the springtime it's ripping through pretty pretty good and then this last summer i had i think i counted 22 rattlesnakes that i had in my yard um and i had you know when you have a kid running around out there you don't want them to just be kind of running aimlessly without knowing what a rattlesnake is first um and you know and to make this conversation a little better um, I'm bringing my sidekicks again they they too live in Montana and but they live in a very different different scenario so you know they can contribute to this conversation pretty well too so say hi to my sidekicks Denny Staggs and John and Cody what's up dudes
1: hey man hey so uh, here I am and I'm in city boy even
2: though yeah, I'm in Montana
0: actually they uh, actually, so going on right
2: yeah, actually, uh, going on that, uh, the what you were talking about um, with your little ones running around there with rattlesnakes and all that kind of thing. I, when I lived in Gardner, I actually lived in Gardner from like two years old to thirteen years old, which is you know the north entrance of Yellowstone. I, I remember one morning we woke up and uh, we were heading into, heading into town, which was like Livingston or Bozeman, and um, we actually woke up. It was snowy. There was snow was snow was on the ground, and uh, we walked outside, and the f- one of our windows into our basement was completely just shattered and uh it was shattered and we were looking around going what the heck could have shattered this window and just big huge bear bear paw prints were in the snow and so a bear apparently just like maybe it saw its reflection or something but during the night it came up to our house you know shattered one of our windows in our in our basement and then ran off and uh, it was pretty pretty jarring to see that as a little kid but um we didn't really think much of it. <laughs> we just, you know, called the called somebody and then went, went to town anyway. So it's, you know, it's interesting to grow up in this. And we used to actually have bears come into our backyard and uh, mess with our, we had a big, huge, um, back in the days when you had clotheslines, we had a big clothesline back there and they would come down and like rip down our clothes every once in a while. Because we're, you know, we're on the north entrance of Yellowstone. So we had bears walk, walking through there all the time.
0: Yeah, what I love about the gardener, um, every time I drive through there, going to the back road there, you always see the football field. And so he's got like tons of bison, big old bison poop pies out there and elk scat. Sometimes elk are actually out there. But like who cleans up all the bison poop off the football field? Or they just play through it?
2: Well, yeah, actually, we when I was in Little League, we would actually occasionally have to stop playing so that a herd of bison could walk through. Oh my God. <laughs> game off. And then a huge herd of bison would have to walk through if they're, you know, heading into town or out of town. It was pretty interesting.
0: See, these are the dangers you have to live with when you live on the edge of the wilderness like this. Wow. I mean, that's crazy. Coexistence. I, I mean, it well, yeah, You know, at least yeah. you
1: save on toys, you know, you save on toys out of your place. You got all the rattles you need and, you know, uh, you know.
0: <laughs> well, no, that, I mean, that's rattlesnakes, man. I'll tell you, this, yeah, when I got this place, I certainly bought it because I like. Where it's at, and it has a lot to do with what I do for a living and being a wildlife filmmaker. Just, this area's got tons of wildlife, and um, but I knew there was a chance there was going to be rattlesnakes, but I didn't think that I would have as many as I do. I mean, I deal with rattlesnakes through the whole rattlesnake season, which seems to be like late May to late October. Um, I mean, there's snake. I'm dealing with snakes almost every day, and uh, I've had two dogs bitten. By rattlesnakes, I have been bitten by a rattlesnake in my yard. So you know, yes, while rattlesnakes do get a bit a bit of a bad rep, um, you know, they they do protect themselves, and they are a a snake that has venom that can kill you. Uh, It's pretty rare for people to die from rattlesnake bites these days, but if you have an allergic reaction or you're far from help, it can happen. In my case, when I was bit, I was a dry bite um the snake bit me but it didn't inject any venom um but in both cases of the dogs they both got envenomated um mm-hmm. but take them to the vet but you know there is a uh, rattlesnake vaccines for dogs not for people yeah. yet yeah so you give it to a the like regular vaccination uh it doesn't prevent them from having any reaction but it keeps the reaction quite low yeah and they both had vac in fact the second dog that got bit he almost had no reaction. We didn't take him into the vet. He swelled up a little bit, and then he was fine because he had that vaccination. Um, the first one had the vaccination, but he, she got bit right on the tip of the nose. Her nose got really swollen, and we had to take her in. Um, at the time, I remember I wanted to document the entire thing, and uh, my wife wasn't real happy about that. Um,
1: <laughs> she was like, put the camera down. Help me with the yeah. dog.
0: Did you?
2: Did you document some? We should. I mean, do you oh, have yeah, some
0: no, video definitely. of it? I do have a video. It, it was unbelievable how fast the nose swelled up on that. Okay. On that dog. Yeah. So, yeah. Why,
2: uh, go ahead, John. Or uh, why can't why can't humans have used this vaccination? That'd be pretty fascinating.
0: Well, I think they could. You know, if it's possible to do it with dogs, um, I would imagine that it's possible to do it with humans. Um, but I think it's at this point manufacturing that vaccine uh cost effective. Makes, yeah cost effective yeah how I many I mean people are getting bit by rattlesnakes dogs man, yeah, it happens pretty frequently um they're always just nosing and then getting getting bit by snakes snakes you know those rattlesnakes they give you a fair warning man i mean i've stepped on so many snakes and still did not get bit and i have walked right up on snakes and they rattle and allow me to walk away right i'm mean, even in strike distance you know um so they they definitely don't want to use their venom you know, they use that same venom to eat you know they kill the animals that they eat so they need it it's important to them and they don't want to start a fight and uh but they'll give you a, that rattle um but dogs sometimes they're just you know they're running around crazy or they're just curious and sticking their nose in the bush and they get whacked anyway um but amazing now my dogs if they even smell a snake i'll see them sniffing and they actually smell them before they rattle and they just start getting hyper alert and looking around and if they hear that rattle they run the other direction as fast as they can. So they know, and that's what I want to try to teach my kid, you know, cause there's no way, you know, it's the idea of like baby proofing the wild. You can't do that. Right. There's no way you're going to baby proof the wild. So yeah. you got a wild proof baby, you know, so you got to teach, teach, you gotta teach her what's a rattlesnake. What's not a rattlesnake, what to do if you see a rattlesnake. Um, and then, you know, even the next step at some point, when she's a little older, what to do if you are bit by a rattlesnake. Um, and, you know, there's there's things like where's the, you know, taking Benadryl. Like now they say keep liquid Benadryl on hand, even though it does nothing necessarily to cause the, you know, take away the effect of the snake bite. If you happen to have any sort of allergic reaction to it, just having the that liquid Benadryl on hand can really kind of calm down some of the, the effects of the snake bite. You still have to go in and get the anti-venom, um, you know, and that's the same thing. A lot of the old wives' tales like suck the venom out. Put a tourniquet on, uh, any of that. That's all it's all fake. That's all you shouldn't even listen to that stuff. Um, fake news. Um
1: You're not supposed to pee you're not supposed to pee on the bite. It's <laughs> a jellyfish, right? I've got to pee on the snake bite. No, I'm
0: kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, you yes, you are Denny. No. <laughs> Don't do all right, that. Good. No, but say keep it they keep it uh, below your heart, the, the place where the bite is. Um you know, let gravity kind of keep the venom away from your heart um, and then keep it immobile, you know, don't move it around, don't let the bub p- get the blood pumping. If there's any way that you don't, you got bit in the leg, if you cannot, you know, don't need to walk, someone could carry you or you need a, you have a crutch, just trying to get the blood flow from that area. But most importantly, it's just get help as fast as you can, because the only thing that's really going to help you is anti-venom. In most places where there's rattlesnakes, most hospitals will have anti-venom on hand. And here we have- a is, it
1: a, is it an outpatient thing? <laughs> <laughs> Do they give it, it can to you? And it it mean, probably it depends can. on your, how you react, yeah. I would imagine. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, no,
0: I think it really does. Well, a lot of
1: people don't. I don't think people realize. A lot of people that aren't from Montana realize how many, even people that are from Montana, uh, I don't think they realize how many snakes, rattlesnakes, there are in Montana. It's high plains, it's rocky. There's a lot of lot of snakes up here, and um, so a lot we get a lot of trap a lot of vacationers and people to come around, and I think they're all surprised by, uh, you know, they yeah, think it's no, cold it, it's, up here all the time, so you can't have snakes,
0: right? Right, right. tough. Any any reptile, even amphibian that lives in Montana, is a tough, tough critter because they really do only have about three months of the year that it's kind of prime for them that they have to make enough of a living, eating enough food um, to survive the rest of the time which is mostly in some sort of hibernation. Um, so yeah, they are tough critters. And they're, you know, the rattlesnakes around here, are, they're big. They get big quick. They eat things like as big as cottontail rabbits. Um, yeah, I mean, I love them. They're beautiful. I love having them around. I intend to keeping them around my house. There's no way I can take all of them away from my property. So, you know, I'm doing things like, you know, me and my wife talked about it. It's like, what are we going to do if we're walking out to here with Adele and we run into a rattlesnake, you know? And, you know, we came up with this protocol. It's like, you know, tell her to stop and, you know, take her to a certain distance. And then, you know, it was, it was my it. wife. Poke it. Some <laughs> <more>. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's and super curious about all the creepy, crawly, any animal out there. So we know her first instinct gonna, is going to want to go over and poke it and go over and see what it is. And so we were afraid of what that was going to look like in real time, especially if we didn't, if we didn't see it coming. Right. So it got to this point where I I had found a rattlesnake in the yard and they were about ready to go on a walk. And I figured, let's just have this first encounter in a controlled setting. So I put the snake in a spot that would be easily seen and let my wife know, and then like, let them encounter it knowingly. So we could be in control of the scenario. Um, and it went well, and then we've done this twice. We did it twice and the, before we had an actual wild encounter with it. And so it did work. You know, we told her to stop, told her to back away. And now is the time to go tell dad that there's a rattlesnake. Um, did we you film about this? About- It'd be I fun to pictures. watch. Did you film Yeah. It? I might have some video actually. Yeah. This uh, is the I conversation. I definitely, have, I'm, I definitely have photos.
1: Um, it's a conversation I'm 100% certain. That I would never have with my wife, or nor with her. <laughs> let's go set that snake down. Yeah, let's set a trap. Then tell it. I mean, I get it because people don't realize where you live. We, we we did some filming out there. I I mean, mice, spiders, snakes. Oh yeah, mountain lions and bears, deer, elk. I mean, it's wild, and it's not that far from Bozeman where we are. You know, I am in. You know, we're 50, we're twenty five miles away from each other, so it's like. Um, it's, I mean, everything like that. But I guess the snakes keep the the the, uh, the mice down, you know. So that's nice sure. there because the mice will get everywhere. Probably more than the snakes
0: will. Yeah, well, the mice yeah, are. Yeah, it's I'd, wild. Rather have, I'd rather have snakes and mice. Um, yeah, and and the other thing is like if you move snakes, I found because I've done some of that where I've I catch a big snake in the yard, a big female particularly, and I'll move it. You know what happens is the, the next time I go out there, there's like a three little snakes, littler snakes in its place. Um, and I find like some of these older snakes, they're kind of used to living around people. They they get out of the way. They see you coming before you, they hear you coming before you even get down, go on the trail and just move out of the way. And so keeping the, the snakes that kind of know what how to deal with people around and they kind of have their little territories, I want those well-behaved Good mannered snakes in my yard. Because if you take them out, you're just going to get some new young snakes that are going to be learning for the first time, the squirrely ones. And I don't want them. They're the ones you got to watch out for. Um, it's interesting. You know, again, it's like well, you can learn from them, but they actually are learning from us simultaneously. They reap the benefit of having people around because we do attract mice and other rodents and they want to come around here because that's where all the food is. Um, and they realize that if they, can mind their own business and get out of the way, they can live there and it works. It's a bit of a coexistence thing. And so I just gotta keep my my kids uh, aware, you know, because otherwise they wouldn't be able to live here. And-
1: um, Do the owls eat the snake? You have owls out there too. Yeah, they, they will eat the snakes. Yeah.
0: Rattlesnakes, yeah. they'll eat rattlesnakes. I've seen them eat all kinds of snakes, actually. I didn't know that until mm-hmm. recently, um, but they definitely, yeah. had, we had a, a female owl uh, nest in the yard a few years back. and she would bring snakes to the little ones quite a bit. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, wow. and snakes is just part of it. You know, we we just had a, you know, we have bears around both species, grizzly bears and black bears. Um, in fact, the biggest grizzly bear I've ever seen in the lower 48 states I've seen in my own yard. Um, and it was trying to it break wasn't into it. It wasn't Brutus, but bigger than Brutus. Um, a big, big old wow. male. And uh, he was trying to get into my wife's car cause she had, we have to take the garbage down the road, um, to the, the green box is a little, little dump site. Um, and so she had loaded the garbage up in her vehicle to take the next morning. And the bear happened to come that night and actually try to get in her car, left these big paw prints on the, uh, side of her car, didn't get in. Um, but huge tracks. I mean, like Alaska sized bear tracks. I'll put a picture up on, on the uh, YouTube site. Um, and then this year we, you know, Got two kids, both wearing diapers. We're pretty much a diaper factory. So I had thrown some, a bag of diapers out the front door, and then my dogs kind of barked. And I thought, what the heck are they barking at? They usually don't bark unless there's something going on. And I see something taking the garbage, the diaper garbage, off the deck. And sure enough, this black bear had come onto the, the porch and grabbed grab some garbage. And I, you know, I know better. It's like, I don't want to habituate these bears. I don't want them to get in the garbage. So, you know, now I'm caused this bear to be rewarded for its bad behavior. And I had to uh, do some negative reinforcement to kind of try to counter the mistake I made. So I figured I would give, I would go out and take the, take the garbage back and bear spray this black bear. So he knows it's not cool to come and take food part of this kind of negotiation of living next to each other. You could be in the yard. You can eat whatever you want. Just don't come eat some, you know, the bird feeder. Don't eat the bees. Don't eat the garbage. Um, you know, we take the bird feeder down. I put a fence around the bee hives, but I made the mistake with the garbage. And uh, now I had to make up for the mistake. And I went out and bear sprayed it and he never came back again. Um, but he was fine. He just had to learn a lesson. Um, you know, I hate to do those things. It was my mistake, but I had to do it because somebody else would just shot it. You know the, most people who have rattlesnakes who have bears in their yard they don't want them at all and they're going to and a lot of people I won't say most people but i'd say a lot of people in this area they just assume get rid of them you know whether that if it's a danger to them their their animals their livelihood in any way shape or form it's just eliminate the animal and out here there's so many animals i mean you're it's a full-time job just getting rid of predators in your backyard you know cattle ranchers some of them deal with it all the time. You know, They live in an area with a lot of wolves and their calves get killed by wolves. And they're always trying to figure out ways to keep the wolves away from their cows. And often the only way is just to shoot them and kill them. And um, you can't do that necessarily if you want both. So it's interesting to always try to figure out ways to coexist so you can live in the wild or at the edge of the wild and still have these critters around. You know, A perfect example of a perfect coexistence as far as i my neighborhood um, is this mountain lion, this female mountain lion I've been filming for years, Mama Mo. I mean, she lived at the edge of this neighborhood, so to speak, and was moving around all the houses in the area. And in fact, she's walked on my deck. You know, I've got seen tracks on her deck several times just to use my deck as a high spot to watch for deer. You know, she never bothered my horses. She never bothers my dogs. She never does anything. She's just always just being a mountain lion with some buildings around, you know, and uh, you know, I've had her, I've seen on surveillance where she's been right at my front door, one of her, one of her kittens, adult kittens, actually, right at my front door at right my wife's pulling in the driveway and they just walk off and my wife walks in and never even knew the cat was there except where we saw it on the, on the camera afterwards. And this happens all the time because I have cameras around the house all, all the time. You know, I see when I've walked in and out the door and the mountain lions have been there. Just seconds before, or were there when I walked out. I didn't see them, um, and that goes with bears and wolves and coyotes and all kinds of things. So it's it's cool because they know their place and they can get they can they move away and you know I don't bother them. They don't bother me, and uh, it can work. But it doesn't always work that way, you know. I mean, you guys, what's the craziest wild encounter you guys had? Oh
1: yeah, well, John's probably had more than I have. I mean. Uh, you know, I had some, uh, some magpies chasing my cat the other day. Um, you know, uh, we had, uh, but no, we had an issue. Um, we had a similar issue up at, uh, in, at the lake place where, um, we had set some, it's a small cabin. So we'd set the garbage out to go into the truck the next morning. And yes, something we think was a brown, a black bear grabbed the garbage and, you know, took it up the mountain. We had to go up the hill. We had to go clean it all and find it, but I'm pretty sure it was a, a black bear. And that's just, that's something odd. That's an odd feeling when you know that something in the night is coming in and that close to your place. So it's a, you know, for you to raise kids there, that's a whole different kind of stranger danger. You know, for us, it's like, okay, be careful when you get across the street, call us when you get to your, your friend's house or whatever, you know? So that's, um, that's it. But I think, um, For me, that's the you know. Aside from our, you know, filming excursions, um, that's about as close as it's ever come for me. John, Uh, I missed what you guys, what you said before he started talking, because my answer was so clear. You understood the question. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) (laughs) Are you any any wild?
0: I mean, that's the one thing I was going to ask you. You have a dog, yeah. and you go out and walk around in rattlesnake country. I mean, you should you you should think I've, about that vaccination.
2: I've thought. I mean, yeah, I've thought about that a lot. And um, he's yeah, he's running around smelling stuff and the whole bit. But it's it's pretty crazy because we've never encountered um, a rattlesnake, or at least not that I've been aware of. But yeah, he's never gotten bitten or anything like that. But yeah, I would definitely think about that. I mean, we've definitely been hiking around and, you know, where there are rattlesnakes probably all over the place. And he's sticking his head in, sticking his nose in, gopher holes in the whole bit. So I'd imagine he's probably dodged some bullets every once in a while. But he uh, yeah, never really had.
0: And that's the thing is like, it's again, you, possible. Yeah, smart. he probably knows better. He's smart. Um, snakes have moved off. You know, you're just they you're probably around just to never, never noticed them. You know, on a bigger level, you know, in this area, we have, I wouldn't say all my neighbors are, equally uh, accepting of their wild neighbors, you know, and for good reason, you know, there's some ranching families in the area that, that is their living having a lot of predators around could keep, make their life a little more stressful than normal. Um, You know, I think that that's a fair, you know, it's it's fair to, for them to feel that way. Um, And, you know, and, and I like to talk to them as much as I can just to kind of help them understand the predators that they live with. Um, You know, and I think there's some people in this, not even just ranchers, uh, people that are just afraid of things that are kind of, in my mind, because I know, um, kind of ignorant, but they feel like maybe their kids are going to get eaten by coyotes or, you know, that, you know, they feel like snakes are always out there looking to bite people, you know? So it's nice to be able to talk to them about the real nature of nature, you know, what these animals are really trying to do. And as a filmmaker, it's cool when you have those opportunities to actually show them a clip of an animal and a person within the same frame that where coexistence is actually happening, where the animal is making a choice not to go and eat somebody, right? So I think there's a lot of misconceptions out there about what these wild predators are capable of. But at the same time, I'm empathetic um, to people who make a living and do have problems with their livestock and um you know, their livelihood is threatened. Um, and that's, that's important, especially when you have a family and you got to take care of them. I mean, nobody's family is less important than somebody else's. And, you know, if something's threatening my family, I'm going to think very differently about it. Um, in my case, you know, wildlife pays the bills. Um, it helps me support my family. Um, in some cases it's the opposite. And I think it's important to hear those, that side of the story. Um, but also hopefully they, they give you the same respect and listen to, to the other side of the story and then try to find a middle ground, a common ground where, hey, how can we keep these animals around that we both love? How can we keep this wild space around us intact? Because we both love it. Um, and to try to find ways that we can both make a living and have these things around. Um, and that leads me to, you know, my w- interview today is actually this gal named Malou Anderson Ramirez. Um, The Anderson family is a pretty prominent family near where I live. And they've been ranching around this area for quite some time. And, you know, they are this cool new age. I would want to say new age at some level kind of family where, you know, they have had some great success living amongst predators as ranchers, but it's because they think outside the box. Um, They've been doing some really innovative, cool things. They have a lot of really great, philosophies of how to live on a wild landscape um how to nurture that wild landscape and how to love it um and so today's interview sponsored by mystery ranch backpacks um going to be with malu and uh it's going to be really cool
1: mystery
0: ranch backpacks uh man built for the mission that's their tag their tagline and uh I'd say that's just about perfect because no matter what the mission is, a Mystery Ranch backpack is always going to work. Whether you're going to the top of em- Everest, going to Mount Everest, you could literally be taking one of their Mystery Ranch backpacks to get all the gear up there. Uh, it's going to be comfortable enough. It's going to it's going to endure anything that you can take and, and do to it. I mean, it is they are uh, one. I'll give you an example. There was one time I had a snowmobile and I had to tug out a 800 pound bull elk off of a mountain and we didn't have any rope. And to get this guy's bull elk, he, was, he had to harvest it during the rifle season down the mountain. The only thing I had to help out was a one of the backpack straps that was a shoulder strap. So I tied this thing, I wrapped it around the elk's antler clipped it with a simple little what looks like a little plastic buckle and then buckled with a little plastic buckle and the strap to the snow machine and it pulled they pulled this elk out of the mountains like five miles just with this one strap and these two buckles and this is like the most basic component of a mystery ranch backpack and it just shows how tough these things are so uh mystery ranch backpack Built for the mission, mysteryranch.com. Check them out. If you want a cool backpack, the best backpack ever made, go to that site. Our next guest is somebody I admire and respect greatly. Um, She has lived on the edge of Yeltsin National Park and has coexisted with The wild world is about as best as anybody I know. Um, I've learned a lot from her and her family, um, and anytime I have a conversation with her, it's always a great one. So welcome to the show, Malou Anderson-Ramirez. Yeah, it's good to have you on here.
3: Thank you, Casey. That's very sweet.
0: So let's talk about where your home is. You live just north of Yellowstone National Park in a basin Um, that i got to say has got to be one of the most definitely one of the most grizzly saturated basins that I know of in the lower 48 states. Can you describe this place you live a little bit?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, you're right. It's definitely grizzly saturated and human saturated depending on the time of the year. Um, so yeah, we, Yellowstone park is just to, uh, is just, I'm sorry, we're just North of Yellowstone park. And, uh, so that means that we have everything Yellowstone has except for bison and, um, as I said before, you know, there's even been times when bison have come up the road, which has been pretty awesome to see. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a wild place. And, you know, wild places draw all kinds of wildlife and, and then also wild people. And so there's always a really interesting mix to sort of, you know, walk through with all of that.
0: And you don't live in an apartment complex. You uh, Your livelihood is ranching. Your family's been yeah, ranching there yeah. for a few generations. Yeah,
3: yeah. It's a mixed enterprise, which is, you know, a big piece of why we can try to coexist and think outside the box and and have the time to explore and experiment because uh, this ranch has always had multiple forms of income coming into it, which is a really important sort of regenerative agriculture structure. So that we don't have all our money tied up into just agriculture or just cattle that allows for a lot of wiggle room to, again, experiment and be open minded and, um, you know, not so reactive when things don't go as planned in the agricultural world. So, yeah. So we have a guest program. We have cattle. We have a couple different types of cattle. We custom graze as well as a. my uncle has a, a herd here. Um, we do a lot of education and retreats here now, um, around sort of reconnecting to land and place, and understanding that um, that reconnection just means humans healing, almost, and and through that healing place as well. So it's it's been a really fun number of years that we're sort of opening up into this whole new world.
0: Let's talk about your other neighbors, other people that live in this this valley and the surrounding valleys. Um, a lot of a lot of ranchers, uh, a lot of vacation, second home type folks. Um, It's kind of, it is kind of a mixed group of people, but one thing I wanted to just kind of lay out to the audience is that there's kind of like these common practices amongst, amongst our neighbors. And then there's kind of these new practices that I, I find so invigorating that you guys are doing right now. Um, Let's talk about the common practices, you know, not to make, I any mean, misconceptions or you know kind of paint a broad stroke of a brush across people but generally ranchers are not pro predator and for good reason because of these these animals could potentially threaten their livelihood would you say that's yes. pretty accurate
3: I, I would say that's accurate yeah
0: and so one of the things that your family, one of the facets of your your family's business, so to speak, is wild, uh, wildlife living with your ranch animals. Um, and you've come up with different ways of trying to make that work. Um, can you explain a little bit about that? Yes.
3: Yeah, um, it started... Uh, well, we've always sort of just thought a little bit differently with with sharing our place with uh, livestock and wildlife because we just always wanted to see the wildness here. I mean, that's why we came here. Um, and so my, my grandpa and my dad and others were always pretty um, open-minded to trying different tactics. Uh, we grew up with sheep and cattle up here as a kid. And when the wolves were reintroduced, um, I mean, this is number one, I guess. When the wolves were reintroduced, we realized that it was probably not the best to have sheep this close to the park. Um, and while it was a hard decision, it was one of those first big decisions of like, you know, we're doing, I know, I know we're doing the right thing. Um, and now it's gone into all kinds of different things, especially since the the landscape has changed so much. Um, back then it was a lot of coyote issues and now it's wolves and grizzly bears and very little coyote issue, actually no coyote issue. Now that I think about it, um, and those go from anywhere, but, you know, now kind of the old school, which I think you're th- thinking new school, which I do too, is sort of range riding, using the use of electric fences instead of, um, you know, instead of regular fences for better management of our herd, keeping them together out in wild country, you know, a uh, a lone animal or a lone prey animal is always the most vulnerable animal, and so you know, like bison stick together for the most part. Um, we try to just mimic that behavior with our cattle, and um, by doing that, we are are really benefiting twice because we're also grazing the land in a lot better way, and and that that way is promoting diversities of species, uh, really good soils, um, just you know, an, an overabundance of all the, of the ecosystem, and so. Um, Those are kind of old ways. Now we're looking into like smart ranching. You know, what does it look like when we um, combine ancient wisdom and history around agriculture and new innovation? You know, like, again, smart tags, smart collars. How can we better manage what we as humans have on the landscape, which is which is the livestock instead of focusing so much on trying to manage the wildlife? Um, perhaps if we had did better at managing our livestock, there would be less um, issue and conflict, and I and I really believe that. Um, well, we do a lot of other-
0: it's interesting. You say one thing; it's just the idea. Um, you know, there's a lot of people on one side of the fence that might say this land never had livestock; uh, it, it shouldn't have livestock. And then you make you bring up a good point: Tom Miner Basin had big herds of bison for thousands of years prior, you know? Um, so it was a part having big hooved, uh, herds was part of that ecosystem that has now vanished. So I think it's cool. I mean, yeah. listening to what you say, it's like bringing back these cattle herds, um, that are essentially just the replacement of the bison, looking for these behaviors within those, in that cattle herd that they'll act like bison more, but maybe even more importantly, they are replacing that presence on the landscape. Is that right?
3: That's right. Yeah. And, and the landscape was formed in a lot of ways from the bison. You know, you think about actual landscape in this area, there was glaciers, there was volcanoes that created the land, but then the ungulate, you know, when they had millions of bison crossing over this valley and in this basin every year, um, you can imagine what it looked like when they left. Um, but you can imagine what it looked like when they returned every year. And, and that was this incredible system that we completely, you know, broke, um, during the Manifest Destiny world and colonization. Um, But also, you know, like that brings up another point that that's another, there are, I'm a rancher saying that there are definitely places that I believe cattle do not belong. And if we have cattle in those places without making good choices, or even if in some places if we have them, that's just all ego. That's rancher ego, and I'm and that's one thing I'm just not interested anymore. At. You know, it's just exhausting, and um, I'm not trying to make myself sound better or anything. But it's I've been around a lot of ego in agriculture, and it's been the destruction of what it you know what it's done on, on a global level. And so that's kind of what we do. You know, there are, there are techniques and tactics, but it's really just checking ourselves all the time. Like, you know, are we, are we asking, are we asking enough, you know, before we do things when we go out onto the land and when we're grazing and when we're just out there, what is our presence like, you know, what's our footprint and what's our energy. And I think that's really important to us. Um, So,
0: yeah. So one thing I want to just kind of put at this in the stakes here, uh, you know, why do, do I personally find it important that the ranching community can thrive in this area? Um, and and the bottom line is a lot of people ask me, you know, like, hey, where do you go filming? You're in Yellowstone Park all the time. And the truth is I am frequently filming on some of these large ranches. Um, I mean, there's some of the biggest open spaces that we have in America and some of the wildest. And what I've watched over my lifetime growing up here in Montana is those ranches selling out to development um, over and over. They can't make a living, um, you know, and it's just, it's easy. You know, a developer comes along and says, Hey, I'll give you all this money. And there's like, oh, we don't want to, but we're going to. And sometimes they're like, yes, you know, <laughs> you know, that's a lot of money. And the next thing you know, there's a little neighborhood there where I used to watch, you know, elk and deer that's run right. and play. And yeah. so, yeah, for you guys to be trying to figure out a way for ranching to be on the landscape in a sustainable way for the rancher and simultaneously to have that actually augment the, you know, at some level, the environment. I mean, to coexist in the very least, not take away. Um, And you're, and you're doing it. That's the other thing. It's not, it's not a pipe dream. I mean, you guys are figuring it out. I think that's amazing. And I think it's so important. And I, I just, again, to the audience listening, I think, I want you to look at this conversation in that way because what the, the alternative is 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 terrible. <laughs> it is, really right. is. And um, again, some of the best places that I've that I know that exist now exist within an offense, uh, and they're they're owned by somebody. Um, That's
3: right. And, totally. You
0: know, I just wanted to talk about some of the things that you were saying. It's like you know you have these old school ways like you know, the range rider programs, uh, the, you know, just bringing some cows in that were more like the bison, but then you were talking about some new smart technology and other ways that you're making the ranching, you know, using technology and uh, cool new innovation. Um, yeah, I just want to talk about each of those a little bit, you know, talk about what range riding is.
3: Yeah. Um, range riding is sort of a tried and true. It's really what ranchers should have been doing the whole time when they put their cattle out on public land. And, uh, I mean, in my opinion, I should, preface that um you know it's it's sort of silly to think that one can say okay it's time for the the grazing season and open up the gate bring them up to a certain spot and then just let them go into the wildest country in the world and then not check on them uh, consistently i mean daily and while checking on them being a part of the ecosystem instead of just drive you know riding up to the cows and checking and riding back so that's what a range rider is it's a, it's just a person or a few people a team who are consistently with cattle understanding that, that they're putting the energy out there that there is human presence on the landscape whatever that looks like um, they're being you know they're being very observant and curious and just being aware looking for scat you know looking for wolf scat or grizzly bear scat so that we can find dead animals if we need to or, or whatever um uh just being really aware checking you know, tracking wildlife while they're out there uh, looking at what's around i mean every year our our range riders is so interesting to know how much a part of the, the landscape they are and they can come back every day and say hey I, that bear was again you know they're based on those tracks or we saw that black bear again where we don't ever see black bears and you know based on camera traps or tracks around the cattle which is really cool to just be part of it and to just be watching again it goes back to it's taking the ego out of it and just really being there presently just like the cattle are and the wildlife are and everything else
0: and just knowing your 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 land and what's going on and keeping on top of it makes complete sense and i think just alone i mean just the presence of a person there constantly would keep some of those predators that would potentially get in trouble just the way in general?
3: Yeah, it's, it's all about patterns. You know, that's what we've always been told by the best bear experts is like, you know, as a rancher, make yourself have patterns you know, they have patterns. They use the logging trail, those old logging roads. They use those at night when we're not using them. And this is a global thing. They see this everywhere when it comes to coexistence. And so we do the same thing. We try to do the same thing at the same time every day so that they also know those patterns and um, it's kind of like biomimicry, you know, you're basically just stepping into a pa- uh, something that already exists and just being more um, conscious of, of all of that. So.
0: And what does ranching look like without, um, without range riding?
3: You know, it's just everything else, everything else, uh, not, you know, taking your cattle up and saying, oh, okay, good, they're up grazing. So now we can focus on other things like fence- fixed fencing and haying and um, gosh, you know, all the ag stuff. But now it looks more like, let's look at our soils. What can we be doing? Let's take data on, our, on our, our lands, our noxious weed plots. Let's do all this other cool stuff.
0: So there's some ranchers that basically just cut their cows out in the forest and forget about them until October.
3: I mean, I don't want to, yeah, there definitely are. And I mean, they'll check on them every now and again. I grew up wrangling, which is sort of the old way of range riding, and it wasn't as consistent. But yeah, I mean, they certainly check on their cattle, but it's not a a consistent sort of human present. And there's a different energy to it, you know. And again, I can only speak from my experience, but my experience growing up checking cattle as a kid up in the high country was just, it wasn't as, again, conscious as it is now for us.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I just wanted to jump in here. What happens when there's a crime scene and you come upon uh, a, 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 a cow that's been obviously killed by some predator? What happens? What, what's the next step that you guys take and maybe contrast that with other people, what they do? Other families.
3: Yeah, well, um, that's another big piece of the Range Rider. It's probably one of the hugest pieces is trying to find those dead animals immediately because in this country, a dead livestock is gone in about twenty four hours um, because there's so many scavenger bears and wolves and coyotes and fox and everything. So, in order to get compensated by the state, which is really an important piece of the whole living and ranching with wildlife and predators, large carnivores, is that there is a compensation program for those losses if you can determine that there's a loss. So you do. Actually actually have to investigate immediately what we do. We have a whole thing we go through. We have to contact FWP immediately, um, or, or animal wildlife services. Um, and then our range riders stay away. We learned the hard way that, um, that we got to set up a very safe situation so that we don't get attacked by a bear. Um, again, we, we learned the hard way. And, um, so now we, as with a team and the wildlife services person, um, we skin the animal, skin the carcass right away. Look for hemorrhaging, which you know shows that it was killed before it, it was killed by trauma instead of just dying in a native poison. Um, spot. You know, we have native poison that grows up here. And then and then they and then the large carnivores will get the bad rap because they went in and then ate and fed on the animal that had died from poison. Um, and so, yeah, you have to do a complete investigation immediately. And then hopefully those ranchers get compensated for that loss because that hopefully widens the platform of tolerance. Maybe, maybe not um, for a population of people who are typically not tolerant of large carnivores.
2: How did you learn the hard way?
3: We had a range rider attacked by a bear one year. Yeah.
2: Wow! Well, he was investigating a dead deer or a dead cow, uh,
3: it was investigating a carcass that we already knew were, was there. And uh, and unfortunately, we we had a lot of really wonderful lessons that year. You know, thankfully the the sow and her babies were they survived that, and so did the range rider. And um, it was tough. It was a t- you know very tough lessons, but uh, we learned even more how important it is to have a protocol in place. To follow that protocol, most importantly, there was a protocol in place for, for the record, but to follow that and to not get too complacent and not to, you know, not to think that you've got it all figured out because it, it's a scary thing to have to skin a carcass when there's a few bears waiting their turn. And um, I mean, truly it's and it takes a team, not just, you know, one or two people. It takes a team.
0: I don't know if I would, uh, I don't know how much, how many millions of dollars you'd have to give me to go skin a carcass in Tom Miner Basin. Um, <laughs> really. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> in risk level, man, that's right up there. Um, just I know. In, H- yeah. hence,
3: innovation, hence innovation that supports safer landscapes and better ways to, to get this data so that people can be reimbursed.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, you got to do it. Could- and I think that, I mean, having, having that job as a range rider, there is some inherent risk. You're on the landscape. You are part of the landscape. You are part of nature. And uh, it can be, it can go both ways. Like you said, um, just, you know, one thing I remember on dead livestock in in that Valley, you know, I have, I have investigated dead livestock in that Valley and a few times, um, I saw 13 grizzly bears feed on a carcass in one night in that Valley. Um, that's unheard of in the lower 48 States. Um, yeah, but I mean, and, and what was so cool about it is that it is interesting because those carcasses do make up a big part of the grizzly bear's diet. They, It's not that they come to that valley specifically to look for carcasses, and, and you know, when I say carcasses, I mean livestock carcasses, but anywhere a grizzly bear lives next to ranching, there are boneyards, which is where uh, ranchers often throw their carcasses in some gully somewhere in the outback, that these bears have learned to go to over the years. And that's all over the the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. And, um, you know, they go and they feed on these things and they, they depend on, again, it's like you said earlier, replacing livestock with, you know, or bison replacing or being replaced with livestock. Um, You know, there were carcasses all over the landscape at one point and the bears, you know, that's their job is to go clean them up. And whether it's a cow, a horse, a bison, an elk, they don't care. They're going to go do it. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so it's interesting. It's an interesting thing because they they are very good at it, and when there's a lot of bears around, they're going to show up.
3: That's right. That's right. Ideally, we'll have bison back here someday because it's an ungulate that makes more sense for this place, and be great to figure out how to make that work in the future.
0: Yeah, tear the fences down. I'm all for it. (laughs) It'd be so amazing to see Tom Miner full of full of bison.
3: Oh man. Oh man.
0: You're such a radical. You're such a <laughs> radical. <laughs> you, got, you got any more questions? Hate- right. Cutting me off.
1: Yeah, no. I, was, I just thought it was. I just think it's the interesting uh, that the protocol and yes, that there's a uh, that there's a sort of an, an insurance or a, a backstop for from the state uh, to to you. And I think that's a lot of people don't realize that you know, um, even though that you're you're out on public lands and and we know that's necessary for. Um, for the operation. So uh, you you take an inherent risk, the state knows that and, and on some return, it seems like they, they, uh, they got your back just in case it's a bad year. Um, yeah, so I, I, I think that's interesting. It, 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 I, I've seen video that we've, we've done up in that area where you literally have cows, range riders on horses, and bears all in the same shot i don't Mm -hmm. think people really when i saw that i'm like that's absolutely amazing unbelievable almost and houses and like uh you know ranch houses all in the same shot it's it's an incredible place um to live i imagine
3: yeah it is it's it's pretty awesome and and casey hit it on the head you know the it's really great to be part of a new uh, of a new future in ag, where you know we don't have to be the villains. That we can really empower each other to be the cornerstone of really moving forward into um, preserving private lands. You know, because just you know, so many ranchers are hated for what they've done, and I, you know, I agree. There's been a lot of a lot of mistakes made in the past, but imagine what we can do if they're they're now the cornerstone and really, I mean, all the data now saying that all the elk migrations are absolutely, it's fundamental for elk migrations to go through private land, especially in this area. And people sort of assume it's public land. And so how, you know, how can we change that? How can we, or not change the fact that they're going through private land, but how can we change that narrative around, you know, empowering ranchers to really, because that's the other piece that people don't see is the reason why they see elk through the valley is because of the rancher, you know, because they are keeping those fields in ways that the elk want to be there. And, you know, that, and so the rancher ends up taking more of a hit, you know, because of it, there's so much more there that the ranchers are doing. And so it's even those who aren't making the best choices, it's nice to find a little compassion and knowing that they have the brunt of the challenges that come along with housing those elk for the public and for the elk themselves.
2: A quick question, going back on the range riders, uh, do horses, can horses smell a bear and detect it before anybody else can, how do they react?
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's actually one of the protocols is you have to be on your horse or you have to be in a, uh, an ATV of some sorts um, if you come up on a car- carcass. to do. So it you can get better. the hell out of there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You can't just be walking up on foot. Um, right. Or if you do, you are like five feet away is a very quick way to get the heck out of there. Um, Horses are always very aware of their surroundings, especially death. You know, whether it's a dead cow or a dead elk, they're always very, you know, much more on edge, much more spooky. They do this sort of funny snort when they're smelling Mm -hmm. a carcass. Um, um, But yeah, no, uh, as many prey animals, they're so hyper aware of all those kind of things.
2: And do you have have specific horses that are more adapted to that, that that react better than others, I would imagine?
3: Yeah, I mean, I would say we have more specific horses to being to mountain work. And it, with that just means a horse that's able to collect themselves and to move quickly and well over tough terrain. And typically those horses are, you know, smart horses. That Those are the kind of horses you want as your teammate out, out in the middle of nowhere instead of some, you know, dull, lovely old, you know, kid's horse. You, you want one with some pep in his step and able to make a good choice.
0: Danny would be a kid's horse. Um, so
1: the... Uh, <laughs> I want a pony.
0: <laughs> but no, it's, it's personality, man. I, I tell you I I don't want to get into having a mule um too much, but you know, I have a mule now and a, and I have a horse, but uh, that mule like talk about situational awareness. Like again, it, it can be a personality thing, but like a squirrel moves and that mule's, mule's ears just get pegged and this will look wow. You know? And yeah, and it's just like, so in everything that she looks at, I'm always looking, and she has showed me so many cool things recently, and I just oh, think, okay, cool. i got a good little sidekick here, you know, some good yeah, ears. Yeah, great. Yeah, so, no, it's amazing. I bet wow. those horses are always look, looking and looking and seeing things. When is she
1: joining the show, Casey? When are you going to have your mule on the show?
0: We're going to definitely do a multi-mule
1: <laughs> show, <laughs> <if you laughs> no doubt. Yeah, show. <laughs> Next episode but, on Sidetracked, Casey's mule.
2: <laughs> What's your mule's name? Cricket.
0: Oh. Her name's Cricket.
2: Yeah, She's right. difference between a mule and an ass. They're Ooh, half ass
0: Mules are half ass <laughs> Yeah, mules, right. are,
3: mules are half ass You're right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> not yeah, no, you know. Yeah, You know, I think it's.
1: I think it's cool. Sorry, I, I'm, we're going to take over your show, Casey, because this is so interesting. Um, but no, I. Um, you, you talk about it's the ranchers that that help the elk come through obviously elk in the in the rocky mountain are huge because people like to to hunt them and um, and that's a big part of predator the predator uh dilemma is that oh they're going to eat all the elk and we like to hunt our elk and we like to eat our we want to eat the elk and so you talk about how the rancher sort of gets a bad rap on that um but you really actually the hidden con. uh, the hidden, cons- um, conservationists, yeah. it seems like, you know, yep. you're conserving the land and you're also conserving a very important species to the landscape and also to a lot of near and deer to a lot of hunters' hearts. Um, so how, how is that going for you? Are you, uh, are you leading the charge and telling everybody to join you? Or do you feel like you have a good coalition to go with you to change that narrative?
3: Boy, that's a good question. I think it's definitely finally looking looking good, looking in the right direction. I feel like a lot of people are stepping up. I mean, just driving through the valley, I noticed things like people are calving later in the year than they used to growing up. And, um, you know, there's still a couple that are still calving in the middle of winter. But for the most part, people don't really, I mean, people are definitely starting to make changes, um, good changes. But you know, again, it's just you got to be careful because you don't. You know, these are our friends and neighbors. These are our dear friends. These are the people who taught us how to ranch. You know, in the in the fifties. When I say us, my my grandparents. And um, so it's one has to be really careful with the language they use because we definitely don't want to um, you know set ourselves apart from the people that we admire and respect. Um, but it is interesting to sort of experiment with how to hold space so that we can really have tough, d- difficult conversations together and open up and just say, hey, you know, maybe that worked then. But does it work now? And if it does, great. But I mean, does it work now? And um, it's tough. It's a challenge for sure. And I would say that there's some great nonprofits and, and NGOs doing great work um, I would say we need more voices in the ranching communities because those are their main challenges is they have really great work to do, but they can't get, their, their, um, they can't get it across because no one wants to listen to them in, in a room full of ranchers. And so really that, that community, that ranching community voice needs to come out again and, and be heard. And I think, I think, again, it is. There's a lot of really incredible people doing incredible things. Tom Hunter Basin is only one of many, many spots and ranchers doing amazing things. So sorry, Casey,
2: one more sidekick question here. Uh, what's the benefit of calving later? Uh,
3: you're just, you know, anything in, in our opinion, anything mimicking nature is um, it, it makes sense. You know, certainly there's there's a death loss rate in nature that a lot of ranchers are not able to swallow. And, and understandably so, you know, ranchers, we're, we're manage, we manage our animals so that we have a very high success rate of life because that's what we're managing for. And that's what we're, you know farming we're farming meat and um nature doesn't have that you know so we had, there are some things but basically you know it's just I, the idea that a mother a mother cow it ha, has more nutritional needs at a certain time of year and so that's one of the reasons why nature has the things it has like an elk calving in the spring a bison calving and in actually bison first and elk and you know it's, there's reasons for that. Those animals need those that nutritional supply at that point instead of in the middle of January, February. I mean, imagine if bison calved in January, there'd be no bison left. I mean, well, I guess they'd probably figure it out because they're bison. But you know what I mean. Um, that the seasons are extremely important and all that. So we do the same thing with the cows is try to sort of follow that same that same thing.
0: Mother Nature's got to figure it figured out. Why, why try to break it or why try to fix it if it's not broken? Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. Okay, not to get off off this cool subject too much. I just I looked down at my notes here and I this is something I heard through the grapevine. I don't know if it's true or not. If it is, I want to hear the story. Um someone told me a story about your grandma um at some point having some kind of crazy interaction with a grizzly bear.
3: Yeah. Yeah. My grandma got um Actually, it was when she had to go into assisted living. A bear basically ran her out. She ran the bear out first. He, he, had, he or she had come in the middle of the night when she was probably 91 or 92, maybe, 91 or 92, um, and came through her window and had opened the fridge and was sitting in her, her kitchen, literally sitting in her kitchen in front of the fridge and eating everything. <laughs> Tore off a couple cupboards. She was in her bed with her little yappy mini Aussie dog, and you know they woke up to something and came out. And, she, and apparently, in her in her story, she you know she ran that bear out of the out of the door and ran got in her car and ran him down the road. Road. I, I don't know about that, but she claims it was true. And then the second night he came back and actually broke the window or something. Somehow broke some glass. And uh, oh, that's right. The first time she left her door open you know, probably, you know, in bear country. But anyway, so it got so scary for her that that was sort of... It's it's sort of symbolic, actually, and sad. It's funny you bring that up because today's the anniversary of her death. But um, she... That was it was hard for the family. It was an incredible thing, but it, it ended up being an excuse for us to get her into assisted living. Cause she was this classy, absolutely wonderful ranch woman who was bound and determined to stay here till the end. And I can understand that fully now. Um, but she was getting so senile at that point that it was getting dangerous, obviously like, you know, there's literally bears wow. coming around her house. Um, and so we blamed the bears, so, you know, we kind of put it on the bears. Like, you know, grandma, you really, this just isn't safe anymore, those bears. And so it was sort of a, it was like a bittersweet gift of like, you know, putting it on them. And then she could kind of like, well, maybe you're right. Maybe this isn't safe hmm. for me anymore.
1: So. Did you say that, that you the bear out. got in her car? <laughs> drove the off. No, yeah, no, The bear drove off?
3: <laughs> <According> to- <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: what I thought too. <laughs> wow!
3: According to her, she she scared the bear out of her kitchen, and you know, opened the opened the door, scooted him out, and then got in her car. She got in oh, her car. Oh, she got in her car. Okay, great. Him off, you know, chased him down the driveway.
0: <laughs> that's great. that's awesome. That's so awesome. <laughs> any more sidetrack questions? Actually, I, was, I wanna, when, going
2: back to when you had sheep were there any sheep wolf uh you know interactions prior to oh, your yeah. decision or were you like oh yeah
3: oh yeah like yeah yeah we had a lot of losses and we and we lost some uh, some guard dogs as well we've always had guard dogs livestock guardian dogs and, and people guardian dogs and uh, after losing i think it was you know the sheep were tough we lost quite a few sheep actually um but when we started losing dogs it got really really hard um so we, we just, we had to do what that's, we had to
2: do. That's personal.
3: Are wolves yeah, as
2: active personal. now as they were back then? Cause that sounds pretty active. Well, that, that was area. just,
3: that was just the first couple of years after they were introduced, but they it didn't take long for them to make it over the basin. Cause we're literally neighboring the the park. I mean, almost there's a degree at which we're neighboring the park and, uh, and yeah, it didn't take long. And, and so, yeah, it was, it was tough. It was a tough deal, but it really, you know, pretty cool to to see it all unfold and. You know we were the only ranchers in the area that wanted the wolves to come back um, my grandma my grandma didn 't and uh, my dad did and that was sort of an interesting dynamic on the same ranch um, but
1: yeah yeah that's uh, that 's interesting and you guys are like literally on the i 've heard this before it 's like when you know people want to protect the, the the wolf and the grizzly and these 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 apex predators and but really, um, you guys are on the front line. I mean, when we say they're protected, now you're the ones that have to deal with them, really. I mean, yeah. I don't. I mean, I, I, we see a bear every once in a while in Bozeman. You know, we'll come in yeah. and get an apple tree or something, but not like that. That's You are literally on the front lines of our desire to conserve nature. Yeah, and yeah. that's a yeah. lot to deal with.
3: Well, my, my background's in human psychology and just what, we you know, what, where, where we are, why we are and all those things. And so it's really interesting to start to really dive deep into, you know, why, why is that hate there? Why is that intolerance there? And, um, you know, we're dealing with that all over the world in many different levels right now and always have really, you know, this is sort of, I feel like this is like the era of accountability and that's why everyone's sort of coming out. Like all of a sudden we should probably be accountable for some of the things we've done, and uh, the entitlement stuff. So it's, yeah, it's really interesting how, how this could become such a politically driven and deep, you know, divide driven issue for some people and many people who it doesn't affect on a personal level, level at all, but there's still a very strong opinion on one way or the other.
2: So. Well, yeah, it's fascinating. People, some people will just see a picture of a wolf and they automatically just think, I got to kill that thing, you know? the whole human predator fear or whatever that is. I mean, I'll watch, I'll see a photo of a beautiful wolf wolf on at a sunset or something. And somebody will just post right below that. Bam. Or something. It's it's just, man, why do you have to go there? I mean,
1: when I worked with the state of Montana and tourism, they, they didn't, we weren't even allowed to put wolves on the Facebook page because it would just create this absolute fight. And so they're just like, let's just avoid that. So, yeah, As
2: as a person with a background in psychology, you said, where does that come from?
3: I mean, uh, this is where I could get myself in trouble. But again, everyone, this is my opinion. It's no one else's. I feel like I have to say that all the time in front of everything I say. Um, I mean, I think my first gut reaction or knee-jerk reaction is to say, this is going to sound awful, but this is going to say, you know, what did your dad do to you? Or, or what did your grandfather do to you that, you know, where was the love? That's my first knee jerk. And I know that that's very general and totally stereotyping. T- However, stereotypes are stereotypes for a reason sometimes. And if it wasn't dad or grandpa, it's, it's a long genetic line of the gift that keeps on giving in the ego. And, you know, the ego breeds more ego. And if you grow up in families where there's macho, um, egotistical practices, very self-centered, um, we tend to sort of go to that. There's also another piece of it though, is that, you know, I feel in my opinion, the most brutal predator on earth is human. And so I feel like there's this peace inside of us when we see something so horrific in nature, when we see like, you know, a calf that's been ripped apart by a wolf or those really like what you remember that whole thing. It's like, we see in others what we see in ourselves. And those are the hardest things in others, like the the trigger points in others that we see in our, you know, I feel like that's what's happening. Like it's a reflection of the most brutal piece of us. However, and then that takes over and no one sees the the beautiful piece of the, you know, this majestic creature and, and bears too, this incredibly powerful creature that can maybe even make humans feel a little bit like prey. And how vulnerable is that? You know, these people, the same people who grew up with grandpa as a jerk or grandma, let's put it that way are also people who, again, very generally speaking, and my opinion, are very, are people who don't allow themselves to be vulnerable. You know, and ha- ha- being vulnerable out in nature is a very – that's a very real lesson that I believe everyone should face because there is sort of this death of an ego that happens in that vulnerability. So that's my two cents. I'm no doctor, but
0: – I agree with everything you just said 100%. So you got – I At least my opinion, 100%, 100% back you up.
3: <laughs> Thanks, Casey. We're going to need each other here.
0: <laughs> I do. I do. And I think there's something wonderful about having nature take your ego away, um, but people are yeah. so afraid of it. And they're going to do everything they can to make that not happen. It's, yeah. it's so true. You know, and, and Danny, you said something about, you know, being on the front lines. I'll tell you, that's one thing I love about Malou's place up there is that there's not a line anymore. You know, it's like the front lines. It's like this idea of, and you kind of also mentioned it earlier when you're describing the place, Denny, but it is this blurry mix of nature and humanity that happens there. And, and it's, it's interesting to look at it from a standpoint of like, you know, manifest destiny happened. People went so far, put up fences, put up houses. And now we're in this time period where some people are allowing nature to take it back. Um, you know, and nature comes in and is taking back their, their land. And then there's, there's this, uh, this truce, um, that some can create. It's like, Hey, we want you back, but we want to live here too. (laughs) You know, it's like, we don't want to be evicted. We want to live here too. What's it going to take for us to stay inside the apartment, you know, and not get kicked out and be the bad, the bad roommate. And those, some people figure out how to be a good roommate. Yeah. And it's just, it's cool. And I, some people don't, um, and you see that all the time, but, um, that's what I love about that place is where I've actually witnessed nature coming back to that area and thriving. Actually, it, it's a bit it's an augmentation to their lives too. And mutually, you know, and I think that obviously you're, you and your family are getting a lot from the return of the wild to your place too, simultaneously. And how, how awesome is that?
3: Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, back to raising kids in in wild places, you know, I when gr- I grew up uh, almost every night of the summer, or at least on the weekend, sleeping out in the yard and watching the stars with my siblings. And, you know, that we don't do that anymore. There's no way we do that anymore. And that's okay. It's okay that we can not have some of those things so that we can enjoy living with bears. And a lot of people don't believe, you know, don't, don't agree with that, but I, I certainly do. So...
0: Well, how do you do that? So it was one thing I talked about earlier. Um, I have this this thing, like, you can't baby-proof the wild. you got to wild-proof your baby, right? And I'm <laughs> dealing with that all the time here with my two little girls. Um, and it's really important to me to, to do it that way, not to go out and to try to sterilize our backyard, but to just make them smarter, to let yeah. to teach them the way to just to get along with it here. But I'm dealing with things like rattlesnakes, uh, oh, yeah. I've had occasional grizzly bears through here once in a while, but how do you do it with your little girls? How, how do, what do you teach them?
3: Yeah, I mean, we definitely teach a lot of gratitude and, you know, that, again, this is going to sound hokey pokey, but just being, again, our energy field out on place and landscape, you know, if we're going out like scared and defensive all the time. That I feel like that's an energy source that's going out on the landscape as well. Why not walk out there you know, confident, but, but with deep gratitude for living here. And again, I feel like that also goes out onto the landscape. Um, that's a big piece of it. We have a guard dog that goes with the girls almost everywhere, she's the great Pyrenees. And we always have had guard dogs to come with us when we're hiking. There's been plenty of times that our dogs have chased bears away. Uh, I think canines and dogs is a huge piece of this whole thing. you know it's an old school and a new school trick that we should continue using. Um, and they just know you know they know they can't go past the headquarter area. they know they don't go out to their rock without an adult um, and it just is the way it is and and they know why. and they certainly have woken up with you know nightmares of a bear chasing them and so forth and, and that might be healthy to have sort of a little bit of a understanding that boundary and, and just that respect. So it's kind of like looking at the ocean. And there are some days you look at the ocean and say, yeah, that ocean wants, I want to get in that ocean and that ocean's okay with me getting in it. But there are certainly times that you look at an ocean and you're like, no way in hell am I getting in that ocean right now. It's clearly angry or upset about something. And it's, I'm going to save my own life here. And it's the same thing in a place like this.
0: Yeah. You know, it's not too hokey. I don't think when you're talking about energy and vibes and reminds me of when I was a kid, um, you and my dad sometimes would just, he'd take me to the top of a hill and we'd sit and we'd watch other people move across the landscape. And he would make me watch them. And, and it was almost like they had this, they were casting out these, you know, this ripples and some more than others. And you could literally watch someone just walking and then 500 yards away, a deer running away. And some people would be walking and only a hundred yards away a deer would be running away. And some people would be walking and the deer would never run away. And wow. you know, you hear, you hear all the alarm calls of the animal in the forest, the way someone moves about the forest. And we were always trying to figure out the way to be the one who could walk through the forest and the animals wouldn't alarm and the animals wouldn't run. Yes. And cause we knew was, there was a way to do it, but you had to, yes. first and foremost, you had to just recognize that there is this energy, right? There is this way um, that you can coexist individually. Um, just with who you are, uh, and, right. and tell you, yeah, it's, it's just interesting to see it in action and see when it doesn't work and so when it does work. Um, and it's cool raising a you gotta family. Have, I, I you mean, gotta
1: I- have good shoes, you know. Good shoes, I think, make a difference. Absolutely, <laughs> quiet
0: shoes
3: for sure. No shoes, actually, preferably no shoes.
1: Is <laughs> gonna run in the presence of Nikes for sure. Yes, yeah, for sure. You have... oh. there, goes Ni- there goes Nike as a sponsor thing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. uh, it, yeah. it's 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 cool that you're teaching your kids that and i i don't know i found i find that with each generation that goes on and i as i meet them as you know in this just in this neighborhood um i feel like it's getting better i feel like there's even some of those old school you know egos that we are talking about you know some of these new generations are stepping away a little bit, they take they take a little bit, but they, they're learning.
3: I think you're right. I, th- I think you're absolutely right. It feels great. Yeah.
0: So one thing I want to, you mentioned earlier, and I just wanted to touch on, uh, you mentioned technology, uh, bringing in, yeah. you know, being the, uh, not only just a, the smart, sensitive rancher, but also like deeply and intellectual and innovative. Um, talk about some of the things you're doing in that, that realm.
3: Yeah. Um, Well, we are. I just emailed Elon Musk, so I'm kind of hoping that he's going to email me back. We'll see.
2: I've I've emailed him about (laughs) ten times. He's he's a he's a big listener. He's a listener.
3: I figured. I figured he replies back to all of his emails. Tesla is
2: one of our sponsors coming up. Hopefully,
1: (laughs) yeah. yeah. Elon's Um, listening right now
3: yeah okay good well that was my that was my hope um, we're mainly working on a on a tag we're calling teal tag and it's just a, a way to measure but again going back to those compensation reports and conservation of large carnivores and cattle and if we're if we can conserve both those things together then that conserves you know intact landscapes and wild places so the teal tag is a real-time it's a real-time tag in the in an ungulate's ear measuring a fight or flight response. And so then that would be paired to the producer or the rancher's phone or wildlife services, depending on who has it or range rider. And then so hypothetically, we would know in real time that say number 232 is getting attacked in the permit. You know, that's like a five hour horse ride away. Or we would know that she or he is sick um, and dying of poison or something's some going on with this animal at this moment. And then if it's a five-hour horseback ride away, uh, we could send a drone drone out potentially to get the data needed. You know, if there's a bear eating that carcass and that carcass has just died, well, more than likely that's a, you know, a guilty bear. And so then we can get a, yeah, back to safer landscapes. Then we might not need to you know, skin these animals and drop down. Or we could start hazing carnivores, you know, for their own conservation protection, start hazing them when they're near livestock or near headquarters. And and then, you know, having something on a drone, say, like a bear spray or a pellet gun or something. Um, And then maybe, I mean, they're so smart, Casey knows, I mean, they're so smart that potentially we could help train them to just go back to what they've historically eaten for eons. Um, wolves certainly would much prefer an elk over an, a cow, even though they would eat a cow. But, they, um, but they're, they're, you know, again, there are le- lessons in nature. They would much rather be doing that. Um, and so we'll see. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. It's a great, I, it's happening. It happens. It's happening in dairy. It has for a long time. It's ridiculous that we don't have this tech in wild places. Um, and I think the coolest part about teal tags is that it's a locally solvable issue. So imagine like uh, the rancher creating the tech with with collaboration that that solves this issue instead of Silicon Valley figuring it all out for us, and I think feel, you know, it feels really good having a local issue. It's a global issue solved on a local level. So
0: yeah, work hard, work smarter, not harder. Exactly,
3: that's awesome. Yeah, for sure. yeah.
0: No, and I think that's so cool. Like just some of the things teaching. You know, you're teaching your neighbors, your wild neighbors. How, what they can do to, to coexist you know and they, they learn quick bears wolves they learn so fast um you know it's it's interesting now like electric fences, you mentioned earlier you Now we have electric fence around our beehives um and i've i've always have a camera out there just to see what you know bears always come along and want to get in the beehives but it's really apparent there's some bears that walk up and they will touch it because they never have before and they never do again and with some bears you can tell they know they've seen and they're like, never gonna do it again. And uh, so they know, they leave it alone. Well, I appreciate you spending your time um, telling us cool stories, giving us some good insight to how Thank some you. people are trying to coexist and what we can do to be better. Um, yeah, I hope that people listen to this, try to figure out ways that they can help folks like you, what they can do for themselves in their own little wild neighborhoods. Um, you know, just, just you know, stimulate thought, think about maybe out there and look for look for something that they can do somehow um be part of yeah. the solution not the problem yeah so thanks again and i'm sure we'll uh we'll be ta- talking to you again no doubt thanks
3: thanks guys happy holidays to all of you
0: that was a great interview thanks malou for that uh such a smart smart gal i tell you i love talking to her and the rest of her family um gives me a lot of hope when it comes to coexistence you know it just it, it takes just thinking outside the box it just takes trying and they're trying really hard and I think that they are real real role models for other ranchers in the area and other people who who are living in conflict with nature to try to find that solution and um, they're doing it it's so awesome so thanks again Malu
1: yeah I love the neighborly feel um, that they have, I mean, now they're just working with everybody's, I mean, this is some of the most wild country in Montana. I mean, it is, it, you know, domesticated wild, you know, just crashing together, if you could call it that. And what I love it too, is, is that this is the, the family's just legacy there that, you know, since 1950s you know, ranchers, which is what we is Americana as Americana gets and that they just held on and kept the tradition alive. And it really is what makes Montana, Montana to me. I mean, it's those are the types of people I just so proud to call my neighbors or or fellow native Montanans. Uh, It's impressive. She just really impressive what they're doing there and how they their approach their life. That's what I loved about listening to her.
0: Yeah, no, so they just like you know? listen to nature and kind of go with the flow and follow the vibe. Um, you know, but at the same time, I love the fact that they're, that she is a good listener and she's empathetic of her other neighbors' feelings, you know, and she, she reaches out to them and talks to them frequently. I mean, they're always, you know, I remember one time talking to her. It's like, she's got, you know, she's got to be friends with all of them. They pull each other out of the ditch all, all the time, you know, they're always, you know, helping each other fix fence and, Um, and they respect her a lot. They respect that whole family because they're doing it. They're ranching as much as any other rancher in in the area. Um, they're just doing things a little bit different. And I think people are listening to it and changing their ways. I love the new generation, you know, the new generation that's coming up in, in a lot of these communities, um, they're, they're thoughtful and, uh, they're not just listening to some old kind of stuck in the mud ways that aren't really been haven't been really thought out they're just more of like bad bad tradition <laughs> and they're changing they're changing the way people are looking at things and uh yeah I love it
1: so yeah it's great it's it's nice to see it's nice to see that it's coming it's from a Montana family that's you know it's not somebody coming in to tell us no you should be doing it this way or it's not you know it breaks that uh that stereotype that you know ranchers aren't conservationists, like ranchers aren't protecting the land, they use the land. And that's just not true, you know, uh, uh, all across the board. So it's it's nice to hear, um, you know, the stewardship that they are providing is, it's incredible. Yeah.
0: Yep. No, because wide we, open spaces, we feelings. all love, we love these wide open spaces and we gotta figure out a way to keep them around. And uh, she definitely gave us some good ideas and solutions there, um, at least a a good target, a good uh, path to get to what we all want. And that is keeping and conserving these these wild places and being able to coexist with them. Please go to our our YouTube page. Um, some of the videos, some of the clips and photos that I talked about earlier about some of the, the things I'm dealing with in my own backyard. We'll post those up. Um, and when you're there on the YouTube page, please like and definitely subscribe. Um, then you'll get Notification every time we put a new podcast up or any other cool new videos that we're, we're constantly adding. So it's a Vision Hawk Films YouTube page. And then, of course, my Facebook page, Casey Anderson, uh, super active. Always some good updates on there. So check that out. Go there, like. And then Instagram, same thing. Follow me there, Grizz Guy on Instagram. Always putting cool new photos from my wild backyard. And then CaseyAnderson.tv, my official website. You can get some cool swag to help support the podcast. Any inter- interested sponsors want to be part of helping us do what we're doing here on the podcast? Spelling the Gospel of the Good Wild. Uh, getting a little sidetracked here and there. Um, yeah, please get a hold of us. And we're always putting new, cool, innovative uh, videos and things up there, just updating everybody uh, what's going on in in our world, in our wild world, in my wild backyard. Anything else you guys want to add to that?
1: You're getting really good at that. You you should think about doing this for, you know, profession, maybe making some money on the side.
0: (laughs) Uh, I got to get out of here. I got to go outside, Been inside too much already. All right. So until next time I'm going to get out the door and go try to make uh, some more stories come true so we can talk about them right here on Sidetrack. So come back next time. Thanks, guys.